0: Dear, dear listener. Hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcast it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you.
1: In part two of our dialogue with Bina Sharma, we explore the farther reaches of human maturity beyond conventional limits. Here, people understand the world and themselves in deeper, richer ways than usual, and so are able to respond to life and its challenges with unusual sensitivity, wisdom, and skill. Learning about these post-conventional stages is not only informative, it's transformative. It's transformative because learning about these stages can catalyze us into growing towards them ourselves.
0: Welcome to Deep Transformation, self, society, spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution.
2: So we've covered the conventional stages and in our framework, we represent the development as an arc. So the arc goes up and then it comes down and that represents something and it represents the movement of the core concept of ego development. So when the arc is going up, the ego is constructing a meaning and constructing a sense of self. So just like at skill-centric, I'm oh, I'm this type, I'm that type, I like to do this, I don't like to do that. I'm defining who I am, and then that reaches a culmination in the self-determined human being where I know who I am, I know what I want to do, I know what I'm here for, I know what my goals are, I know, I know how I want to change things. So that is sort of the highest point of independent sense of self. And Life will then continuously challenge us and the next evolution, the next step is the first post-conventional stage where I begin to realize that who this independent person that I thought I was is a product of programming or I've been conditioned in this way. I thought this was my individual thinking but I've been conditioned. I begin to realize that there's something deeper going on so when you and i have discussion and argument and we have different views i'm no longer it's no longer I, can i say that let's agree to disagree i now realize that my view is so because of my my conditioning my upbringing my context my programming the the way in which i was shaped and molded by my context and that's why i believe what i do even though I've chosen it. Whereas you, you have different beliefs, but you've been, you've been conditioned by your context. And that's why you believe what you do. So who am I to say that I am right and you are wrong? Now I realize that we are both right in our own way. So all perspectives have a truth within context. So for the first time, context becomes an important determinant of my understanding, which is a huge leap. And you're now closer to reality because that is true. Your context is different and, you know, the context within which you came up with your ideas and beliefs is different. And it's true within that, within that context. And now I, I realize that. So now it changes everything. It changes my whole world. And now I'm also rejecting what came before. I'm, sus- I you know, all of that is suspect because that world... I've been there, done that. That's not the way things happen. Things are not linear. They're not predictable. Things are more dynamic. So a whole lot of other things come online at this stage. But primarily, it is this opening up of the interiority, which is recognizing that even what I see outside is an interpretation. There is no actual thing out there. You know, you've seen those images where you have the the visual paradox, you have the vase, and you have the faces. So now all of reality is like that. you can. You, there are both, you know, the vase and the face, it's both. It's not this or that. You don't just see one picture.
1: So what I, I'm taking away here, Bina, is that what comes online is a capacity for a far greater multi-perspectivalism capacity. Yes,
2: absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. So now I'm interested in multiple perspectives because I'm recognizing that all of them contribute to to what is actually true. So there are multiple facets of reality. There is no one reality out there. There are interpretations. It's the beginning of that realization. Whereas in the previous stage, at the self-determining stage, you really think that there is a one predictable thing out there that you can make happen.
1: And you call this stage?
2: This is called the self-questioning stage. Mm -hmm. So this is questioning how I got here. So now I'm curious. Now I want to go back and I'm more I may spend years here just discovering how I became, who I've become, and, and expanding my embrace to include the variability of other human beings, diversity and inclusion. This is this is the gift of of the stage in a, in a deeper way. And greater tolerance, greater tolerance for others, greater inclusion, greater understanding of ambiguity. Anything goes in some ways, you know, everybody is true. Everybody is right. And so you can see that the limits of this, where there is no, nothing you can actually hold on to. It's like, you know, the rug has been pulled off under your feet and there's nothing to stand on and you're sort of okay with whatever happens.
1: Sounds very disorienting. Yeah, it sounds.
2: But the discoveries, yeah, it's it's disorienting when you don't yet have what the, what the next stage brings. And that's why we say that in, in some meta way of describing every new stage solves the problems that are created by the previous stage. By the So the there are limits to the previous stage, and then the resolution comes when you step into a larger perspective, a larger embrace that integrates what's come before and creates space for new understanding.
1: Yeah, a, a beautiful way I've heard of describing that is today's problems, yesterday's solutions. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: So now, and in, in your, your understanding, it seems like, this is really one of the crucial turning points or, or transformations in, in development that one is going from a, an understanding of oneself and a reliance on what the what our culture has given us to a kind of not just a birth of the separate self sense, as you said, but a birth of an individual outside the collective mythos in
2: a way. Yeah uh, and if if you look at the three major sort of markers described by three different major theories then that main milestone would be seen as different so if you look if you look at Robert Keegan's theory for him the biggest shift is between the socialized and the self authoring and in a way i agree with that because 60 to 70% of humanity is not yet self authoring not yet come into that independent, objective way of looking at oneself and changing things around them in more productive ways. If you look at our framework, we emphasize this as this between self-determining and self-questioning as the big shift because it's the the beginning of the deconstruction of the ego. Until now, the ego is developing itself, building itself, defining itself, giving it more itself more names and definitions. And this is the beginning of questioning those definitions. How did those definitions even come about? So that's why this stage is seen as the biggest shift. But if you look at integral theory, this leads to the limits of the green, also called the mean green meme, also called the relativistic flatland view. And so from an integral point of view, that is the bigger milestone is after this stage where at this stage, there's no grounding, everything is okay, everybody is right, everybody is fine, let's all convene and continue to explore deeper explorations, but cannot take a stand because that would mean saying that one thing is better than the other. One stand is more true than another stand. And that has already been challenged fundamentally, that the belief is now nothing is better than anything else, because who am I to say that?
0: That raises all sorts of problems, right? You you can't make moral or ethical choices if everything is all the same and something is not inferior or superior or loving or less loving or however you want to put that. So that's a, a horrible problem. Yes,
2: and there is also an inability to see the performative contradiction where the fundamental statement is non-hierarchy is better than hierarchy, which is an example of hierarchy, but that is not yet seen. And at the next stage, so, but it's such an expansion, such an exploration. And when I work with individuals at this stage, there's so much more scope to to look at oneself, to continue to reflect, to begin to question the assumptions that they are making at the stage that they're at. So we're already in easy territory in terms of coaching coaching people. I would say easier territory because there's so much, there is capacity. So at the next stage, which is called the self-actualizing stage, the fun, so I'll just highlight, because I picked one thread, I'll just continue on that thread. That now, if I say, well, who am I to say I'm right? We're all, it's all relative. Right. Now, at the next stage, you realize, yes, it's all relative. And there are some absolutes. You can't get away from it. You begin to realize that there are some, some absolutes. We need to take a stand because it's unsustainable. The previous worldview has its limits. So now you begin to realize the natural hierarchy Now there's another whole set of capacities that come online at this stage. Now you see the whole system, you see systemic view, you see the individual as part of a system, you see the system in context of other systems, and you really are interested in taking a stand and coming up with some higher principles, that can solve the problems that are unsolvable at the earlier stage. And, and what
0: is this stage called? Mina? This is
2: called self-actualizing.
0: So would this be in in say in in integral terms or spiral dynamic terms? Are we talking about second tier at this point?
2: Yellow, yes.
0: Okay, yellow. Mm-hmm. And and is does the capacity begin to emerge that you can speak to these different stages of development in the language that they can hear.
2: Yes, in some ways, even without knowing anything about stages, you naturally recognize you now really have an evolutionary perspective because an evolutionary perspective somewhat has that hierarchical quality that there is something that is continuing to grow and expand whereas in the previous it's it's flat so yes and because you have that evolutionary perspective you honor every part of that evolution you can honor the earlier stages you include them you know a system is not viable without all of the pieces you know and that everybody is in process so there's a much greater understanding of the systemic, you know, systems, uh, this true systems thinking comes online. And the one big distinction is that it's not just about systems out there, but it's also about internal systems. And that's what makes a true self-actualizing capacity. A lot of people can do good systems thinking. They can learn tools. They can attend systems thinking conferences. They can create balancing, balancing loops and reinforcing loops but if they are not equally internally aware of their systems inside their blind spots you know their conditioning then that's not true stage 5 so there's a there's a misunderstanding of stage 5 because the interiority is also the expansion of the interiority is not well understood in people who haven't studied deeply enough
1: so it would be sounds like what you're pointing to, Bina, is one's one's intellect can certainly outpace out one's uh, inner development and certainly can outpace one's uh, awareness of one's own inner universe and personal dynamics and blind spots yes. and defenses, et cetera.
2: Yeah. And that's why just complexity of mind is not enough. It's complexity or or capacity, but turned inward to begin to see all the various ways in which you can fool yourself, all the various ways in which you can hide from yourself. And then so at this stage, there's a real interest in exploring what are things about me that I can't see? Yeah. And so now at this stage, people like to do constellation work and, you know, even do trauma work, uh, recognizing that there's a whole lot inside that hasn't been explored. And there's a greater capacity to abstract feedback from the system without necessarily anybody giving feedback. So when I walk, when, when I walk into a room, the way I operate in a context is feedback to me about what is happening here and how did I see the situation, how I'm with you, John, and how I'm different with Roger is feedback to me about mm. what what you are mirroring about me. That's the level of, of interest and awareness in one's interiority. At, at this stage and this huge capacity at this stage. And I would also like to caution that you may test at stage five and not have some of the complexity thinking skills required today to deal with the meta-crisis and existential risk that is a new phenomenon. I mean it's you know the the way the world is complexifying due to exponential tech is not something that we have had context before. It's new and so we cannot assume that somebody who tests at stage five is going to be competent in thinking and cognitive skills required to address and mitigate existential risk or civilizational risk. And that's, I'm pointing this because I feel that's my next interest and area of work, I think, over the next few years. I do believe thinking skills can be taught. I am a living example of this because I learned how to think and I taught how to think in the first eight years of my career. I taught lateral thinking and I've been teaching polarity thinking for 21 years. So I know that it can be taught. So I'm really interested in this because that I feel is is the need, need of the hour.
0: Yeah, that's hugely important. And with the meta crisis, as you, you, you mentioned, and the internet, and how do you make decisions of what's right and wrong, and why not fall into this particular conspiracy theory, or how do you kind of sort it all out, and how do you base on evidence, and, and it's, it's, there's so much there, and if something appeals to you emotionally, at a certain level, you're like, likely to run with it. And you can get in, you know, you can join a gang or you can, you know, go the QAnon route, which is it's a very interesting phenomena that I've been affected by personally in my life. And yeah, how do you begin to sort these out? You're saying at level five you can't quite begin to kind of put the world back together again?
2: No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that actually at level five that some of the examples that you gave. And,
1: and this is the self actualizing, you yes. your term, yeah.
2: Yeah, some yeah. of the things that you were talking about, there would be a capacity to see oneself falling into, into, into those things. But it also depends on in what context have you grown into your level five? Because there's so many dimensions, so many dimensions of the self-actualizing stage. I was just pointing to a specific set of complexity thinking skills that are required today that I think need to be consciously developed. There's new terminology, there's new discourse. Around what's happening in terms of global issues that haven't been there before, and we all need to learn learn that. In, and so I feel I need to educate myself now. What is game B? What are generator functions? What are perverse incentives? I need to I need to educate myself and learn how does this marry with ego development and identity issues, and what is the relationship, so that we can support people in both poles, developing them in both the interiority, as well as the managing what's external and fundamentally they are anyway connected.
1: Yeah, and this this is obviously crucially import, important, and something we want to get to. And yet, I also want to make sure we complete the arc of development before diving into multiple implications here. So you've taken us through the so, the pre-conventional, the was it three conventional, yeah, conventional, and now two post-conventional. <laughs> I'm eager. What's next? <laughs>
2: Yeah. So we were at the uh, self-actualizing stage, which is a very, very powerful stage with tremendous capacity. So we talked about, you know, the central idea being that there are, yes, everything is relative and there are some absolutes. So there are higher principles, being able to anchor on higher principles, being able to work systemically, and also, not necessarily having to listen to every voice in the system, which would be at the previous stage. So there is a natural sort of a hierarchical understanding and how that operates in systems. So if I'm, you know, if I'm working with a hundred-person organization in the previous stage, I would want to listen to everybody's story, and right. everybody needs to be involved. Whereas at this stage, I might actually be able to identify hubs or influencers and say, if I worked with these 10 people, then they would reach, each of them could reach the next 10 people. So you can layer, you can layer and you have ways of integrating different perspectives. You are looking for other perspectives for integrating for a higher wisdom, not just to expand perspective.
0: And you can make judgments about maybe a lower perspective, a higher perspective, a more better, less better, that sort of thing more harmful, more compassionate, less compassionate, you can start to
2: yeah, And you can do, so we didn't talk about this, but maybe when we talk about polarities, we'll go through the stages again, from looking at how each stage, what is their capacity to handle opposites and polarities. But I'll say one thing at this stage is, obviously you do both and thinking because you're more inclusive, which comes in the previous stage, begins to come online on the previous stage. But you can also do either or thinking. At this stage, you can do both. You can do both and thinking, and either or thinking. You can do. You can take a stand, and you can do something short term. You can do, but always keeping the long term in mind. You can. You can set boundaries. You can break boundaries. So all of those at this stage, you are more capable of doing that.
0: And, and can you start integrating all the stuff from the previous stages in a more, a more whole.
2: Yes, definitely. Yes, awesome. definitely. You yeah. you integrate it externally and you begin to see these within you as well. And you begin to see that there are parts of you that are at earlier stages. And of course, it varies. If you're familiar with the framework, then you see it more because now you give name to it. But if you had not, no idea about adult development and you had stage five capacity, I imagine that you would naturally be more compassionate to aspects of yourself that are sort of negative or that are dark and you would be able to include more of other people's shortcomings and just be able to hold a larger you know a larger context for that
0: Yeah I find that that I in my life now I, I've really found that I have deep conservative values but I also have very progressive values at the same time and so it's like I really don't fit into either club. You know, mm-hmm. we're so divided, mm-hmm. this or that, in our country, political, this party or that party. So it's it's been interesting.
2: Oh, it's, yeah, it's trying it's, to
0: figure out how to how to do that in a way that that helps.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this, as I said, is a very powerful stage, full of capacity, and I would I don't know if I could call it the shadow of the stage. One of the sure the limits of the stage is it's all about mastery and knowing and being able to do and seeing so much, seeing so much in yourself, seeing so much in others, seeing so much in systems. And so there can be a hubris that comes out of that. And it's another shade of the earlier self-determining stage where everything is possible to understand. And so the mystery is not, there's not enough space for fundamental mystery at this stage. Though that's not the defining factor, but I just just is one of the things to keep in mind.
0: Well, well, in my my experience, I don't think I, I it was hubris, but I was think I was annoying. It's like mm-hmm. as a born again integralist, you know. Oh, you see all this stuff, and you want to tell everybody about it. Well, guess what? Not everybody wants to hear it. I learned that very. <laughs> <good>. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I had some professional issues. Okay, shut up, yeah, they're not ready. But then I learned to adapt. Instead of talking, it was a very kind of born again green group that I was working in and I was bringing all my ideas and they were deeply offended by the hierarchical stuff. So I made it a circle, you know, and I said, expanding circles of compassion and everybody. I was like, wow, this is great. But anyway, yeah, that's what my wife told me. I was a born again introvert, and I could get pretty annoying. So hopefully I'm, maybe I still am. I don't know, but here we are. (laughs)
2: So the next stage is another milestone, it's called post-autonomous also. So you have the pre-conventional, conventional, conventional, post-conventional, and there's this another sort of milestone. And at this stage, so if we follow the same thread, I believe in these higher principles, I have convictions, I can take a stand. And now I realize that all of these higher principles, the absolutes, the the stands that I'm taking they are all constructs.
1: And you mean men- mental? constructs? Yeah, they're
2: construct. It's an idea. It's it's not necessarily true. It's not there. It's just a representation. It's trying to abstract and put a name to something that's there, but it's it's just an idea. And- Maybe
0: generalizations also. You know, you might say that generally things. Anyway, that, that's just an idea instead of, as well as an abstraction, it's a generalization, the way that we put on things. And they can be very useful. I mean, mathematics can be useful. They can very- be
2: useful, yeah. The, the, the idea is here that you begin to see the functioning of the mind and you see the drive to fix reality and to name it as something and then to see it's actually not real that these are all ideas and that if I change my the idea or my these are all filters, if I change the filter, the world changes. So this is a new order of recognition that uh, there is no reality out there, it's what I am creating, which happens once the first layer happens at the self-questioning stage when you feel that the rug has been pulled off under your feet because how do I know what is true? It's all interpretation, it's all relative. This is another order of magnitude to there is no reality out there it's my it's the filters it's the maps that i am creating that are trying to make things real so now it's not not like the rug is being pulled out from under my feet but i like to say it's like the earth has been taken taken out from under me so really there's nothing to stand on it's the illusion the illusion of reality created by the mind is beginning to be seen through. And that can be very disorienting. It can lead to a lot of despair because that same understanding is now taken to the self also. Now, for the first time, I see the self that I think I am is just an idea. What is it? Where am I? I can't locate myself. You know, Am I the person I'm today or the one I was five years ago or 10 years ago? And then I realized that they're all just images. They're just ideas I have that I'm. this personality is a conglomeration of patterns. Those patterns are abstractions. So I'm really curious now about how the mind works and, and recognize the mind as a mediate, mediating reality and that the mind is coming in the way of direct grasp of experience, which can always only be now.
1: And Bina, can I just add in here, because it might, it might help. I recall that you and Suzanne have used two names here, which I've found very helpful for this stage, which it sounds like they describe or encapsulate beautifully the some of the, some of the qualities you're describing. One is that this is a, a construct-aware stage, where for the first time we become what we mistook for reality are actually only constructions or representations of reality, yeah, yeah. and also ego-aware that we actually become aware of this but roger is just a mental construction <laughs> it's like oh yeah. so yeah yeah please. thank
2: you thank you for bringing that up and some people in at this stage some people are more more centered around the construct awareness and some people are more centered around the ego awareness you can see that also so so this is where it gets interesting because this is an ego development framework we started with saying that the ego is the one that's trying to make sense and now you realize that the one that's trying to make sense is it's is a, is a construct and so the ego begins to see its own illusion the illusion of its own entity if you will and that is that's what the wisdom traditions are in some ways talking about so is to begin to see that There is no such thing as the ego, even though and and so the meaning making is finally looking at the illusion of the meaning maker, if you will. And that's very interesting to me. And it's hard to grasp if you don't have some of that capacity. So I hesitate to talk too much about it because I feel I'm only beginning to understand the various aspects and dimensions of it. But everything begins to get deconstructed then at this stage, including the interiority, and then you have the next stage, which is the final stage called.
1: Can I? Can I? Before yeah, you, this, this is really interesting. Let's
0: let's not run off too quick. Okay.
2: Go right.
1: ahead, <laughs> John. I have things I want to want to ask. But sure, do you have please. things now? Okay. Well, you mentioned the wisdom traditions, being which you you're referring to. Uh, you know, the, I assume the great great spiritual traditions, the contemplative traditions, the sapiential side of the world religions, there are uh, three associations or three things that it feels like this stage possibly illuminates uh, very powerfully. One is, is existentialism, which centers in large part on the recognition of so-called groundlessness, that what we've taken to be the ground on, on which we live our lives is actually just a construction. And the the existentialists talk about the feeling of nausea, of just being a disorientation of being lost and having no ground, no everything's unfamiliar. So does that, that's one uh, association. Does that resonate with this construct of stage for you?
2: It would. I would only say it's along with also deep orientation because it's cumulative Ah. and developmental. So none of the previous things are lost in any way. So you're standing on top of that. So there's this additional layer of questioning everything. And yet I think there's there's enough understanding of complexity of self, of one's own, that it's not to, it's not completely an unmooring. I mean-
1: Very good, yeah. yes, yes. So thank you for that, because that, that makes clear that perhaps what the existentialists are pointing to is the initial entry into this stage.
2: And the questioning, yes, the questioning of everything that came before, yes.
1: Yes, so that's one, this stage for me created an higher experience of like, oh, wow, these whole, these traditions, this movement, etc, are probably grounded in people moving into the stage. The second one you already pointed to is the wisdom traditions where there's across contemplative traditions, there's a recognition of the constructed nature of the ego, but but the tradition which takes this deepest i think is buddhism which sees the emptiness or constructed nature not only of the ego but of all phenomena and that all phenomena are at bottom transconceptual that they, they cannot be encapsulated by any concept and that and buddhism sees this recognition as actually soteriological capable of profound liberation and i I have to say, you know, I've been trying to understand this for a lot of years, but I'm beginning to think, wow, this is really profound. Because what we what you recognize is that that we respond not to things themselves, but to our concepts. And once you recognize the constructed nature of our of our concepts. Then that seems to undermine the automaticity of conditioned responsiveness and allow a, a liberating openness. Does that resonate for you?
2: Yeah, the only thing I would say is that I could produce a Hindu text that says exactly the same thing. Okay. So I wouldn't Fair say enough. It's, I, I wouldn't say that it's just Buddhism, but I think it's the it's at core Hindu thought is pointing to that. It's not just about the ego, but it's about just as you do described it really beautifully. And the two or three teachers that I've been following, one of them is Nisargadath, who really points to, who's really has had the the clearest pointing out in, in that way. And so I would say perhaps Vedantic or, you know,
1: yeah I, I I'm think, I think very you're right about
2: what I say because I don't have my chronology in sequence, but I'm just learning. I'm just learning to situate even and even those are concepts, you know, <laughs> even that is a concept. The Hindu yeah. way and the Buddhist way they that's what we do. we we, we make them into concepts, but of course we use them to enter into into the experience of what they are pointing to.
0: And, and how does one function at this stage? Because it seems like this this great unraveling of, oh, everything's a construct. So how do I put my pants on and how do I behave? You know, how does this? Oh,
2: Because you recognize, well, th- this is the either or mind working. We just assume if this is there, then the other things are not there. That's not true. Because now you also, since you see through the functioning of the mind, you know that you're living in the world of mind and you operate in the world of mind. But the thing is, you now see it for what it is. And you don't reject it you you don't you don't say well that's all that's all mind or, or you know that's all no mind you know a m- more mature construct of it as you step more and more into that capacity it is more and more integrative actually
1: yeah. yeah and just to and to follow up on a previous thread you're pointing now to that there that even within a stage there are Substages. there's an initial entry, which may be disorienting, then there's maybe a consolidation and integration, etc. Going back to the point about the implications of this. uh, First off, thanks for your correction about I had said it was, this was most outstanding in, in Buddhism. And I think that's actually probably, well, first, thank you for pointing out that this This recognition, of course, can occur in any tradition in in advanced contemplative practice and does. I would still say that it's more central to Buddhism. In fact, the so-called Madhyamaka philosophy, which centers on the recognition of what's called emptiness or construct awareness, is sometimes called quotes the central philosophy of Buddhism. So it's more than the Buddhists give a, a central primary emphasis to this. So
2: yeah, I think it's more it's more explicit or more obvious in Buddhism because yeah. it's also tighter in some ways, whereas you know, Hinduism is like a thousand-armed goddess. There's so many branches <laughs> and there are so many ways forms that it takes but if you come to the you know the the more of the roots i think this is this is definitely very much part of hindu thought
1: yeah very much the third school or movement that i wonder if you would comment on the possible relationship to is the whole postmodern phase of deconstructionism which has been had enormous influence in in intellectual thought over you know, probably from the 70s for a few decades. I think it's fading a bit now, but would you comment on that? Anymore? I think it's alive and
0: well in academia right now uh, in the university. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's, it's still- yeah. Not in the, not in my medical school. No one's ever heard of it, John.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> That's still conventional. Well uh, yeah I don't fully because that's not been my field of study how postmodernism has shown up in literature arts and all the other humanities and fields and I had to only have a sense. But I would say the root of that is the post first post-conventional stage where you challenge orthodoxy and you challenge the uh-huh. system and you So the root of of that is that realization. And then when it's applied to fields of thought and fields of endeavor, it takes all these forms and it becomes a thing in itself. It becomes a whole cultural way of it becomes a a cultural way of looking it becomes a whole science it becomes a whole sort of manifestation of that but the root of it I think I think the root of things that you observe in culture and systems come from that meaning making within the individual and then once it hits the culture there are all kinds of complexities you know that make it so difficult to to sort of parse
0: yeah, I think the resolution, at least for me, might be, in it's a Buddhist teaching, but that emptiness is form, and form is emptiness.
2: It's also him for teaching.
0: <laughs> First you realize all the form, and then it's like, oh my God, but form is God too, you know? And so emptiness arises in form, and form contains emptiness, and it's like, all right then.
2: Oh, I will send you, I will email you a Kabir Doha or, or, a, or a couplet from Kabir uh, who just says exactly that.
0: Okay. Well,
2: there you beautiful, go. it's just a beautiful, awesome. it, and it's more about emptiness and fullness that he, it's not, he, he's, he He uses empty and the empty becomes full and the full becomes empty.
0: Yeah, okay. And the, the, the fullness is full of emptiness and the emptiness is full of fullness, which is kind of cool, so. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, this is this is fun. Let's keep let's it's keep the yin
2: yang, and I also want to show you this, which you just said. So this is my favorite conceptualization of this harmony of emptiness and fullness and all opposites, actually, the harmonizing of all opposites. So this is a form of consciousness, which is Shiva, a form of consciousness that is half feminine and half masculine. So you can see this side of the body is female, you can see the breast and the jewels, yes. and this side is male. And this is personified yin-yang, and this is the highest vision for being, not not a human being, but being where all opposites are integrated and it's personified in this. I just love this. you know. So it's not an abstract symbol. This is the potential of our human form to be in harmony with all, all opposites uh, and both emptiness and form. So I just wanted to share that.
0: Beautiful.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And now we're <laughs> we're coming to to the last stage. So please, Vina, we've gone through this trajectory and please on to the next.
2: So this is the this is the ultimate complexity capacity at the stage constructor where, you know, you also see that there's still the the self in some ways is still trying to make sense of everything and you're still trying to map everything even though you realize that they're all they're all maps but there is a tendency to continue to make more and more complex maps to grasp what is actually real so that we can we can make sense of it and at the next stage which is the last stage which is called transcendent stage which is the unitive stage you fall into into no boundary because now you're realizing that all of this is construct of the mind even ego is construct is just construct and it's all there's really nothing there and then you actually fall into the reality this is the way I like to explain it you know you just fall into so what I mean there's no limit to the mind and there's no way we can actually grasp and then what happens is then we really fall into the now and the reality of this moment and this being and this form seeing the limits of the mind and recognizing that we are all one that you know like as i look into your eyes i see it's the same it's the same reality manifesting in you or me it's we are not different we are because the different the division is created by the mind which i'm which i've sort of been able to see through and along with a whole lot of Cumulative capacities, now I can hold the entire thing. I can completely zoom out and completely zoom in and see that even the zooming out and zooming in are divisions that I create with language. And so there is an immediate experience, unmediated by mind, a capacity for that immediate experience, which is again what the wisdom traditions are pointing us to. So this no boundary consciousness, this capacity can hold, can hold all of it. So that's, again, it's an idealization because people who have this capacity may still be integrating, they will definitely be integrating other aspects of self. Nobody is is fully there. What I love about this framework is that because it's an ego development framework, it bridges psychological development, pointing to the progressive expansion, progressive differentiation, progressive deconstruction, until we arrive at a no boundary consciousness through recognition of the limits of the mind. And so it bridges psychological development with what is called spiritual development. And I don't like that division of spiritual and psychological too, because it's a division created. This is all about human development, it's not psychological and spiritual. This is this is the potential of this, this precious life that we have and the way we can make sense of it. Yeah. So that's what gives meaning to me of this particular framework over other developmental frameworks that somehow feels to me like don't have a top. They're sort of topless. And I feel this connects to the largest context I can imagine based on just my own experience, my you know teachers, and my ongoing exploration.
1: Yeah, and what you've you and Suzanne have done is you've given us what Ken Wilber calls a full spectrum perspective on human development and possibility, starting with infancy and the earliest stages of you even, even constructing uh, an understand any representation of the world, all the way through to at least the early stages of contemplative mystical union unity awareness etc so it's a it's encompassing in a way that as you said very very few other models of human development really are and you it's beautiful that it does bridge into the contemplative what the con some of the contemplative understandings and recognitions of millennia. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful map to have and, and to think that now we have this. It's not the final thing, of course. You and others will fill it out and who knows what else <laughs> you'll discover. But, but at least now, for the first time in human history, we have this. And it, it seems important, since you brought in the contemplative here, to point, to point to a new possibility that Ken Wilber lays out so so brilliantly in his book, The Religion of Tomorrow, which is not for the faint of heart, it's 800 pages, but it is brilliant as some, as Ken's work usually is. And he points out that, that throughout history, the great gift of the contemplative traditions has been making available states of consciousness to us. And that uh, what you and other developmental psychologists are doing is, for the first time in history, making available the stages of development through which the psyche can mature. And when we put those together, we have, for the first time in human history, a far fuller appreciation of what human capacities and potentials and maturation look like.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. It's exciting and it's nascent. It's a new field are yeah. we are just learning. So we have some research, we have the theory, but for me, what's most fascinating is how does this live in the human being that I am with and how am I alchemizing this concept, how am I alchemizing the framework through my through myself as instrument to be of service to the person that I'm with in this moment, and I think. I think there's not enough being done in this area of, I, I loosely call it translation. But how do I bring this into service? That's my, That's what I'm most interested in. I love good theory, but I'm a practitioner at heart who relies on the best theory available. But the best theory is, at best, an entry point into the real experience of what it means. And it's always unique and it's always new. So every person that comes into this work with us as we are doing teacher training or coach training is alchemizing this framework and learning new things about how does this show up in this person, in this context. And so we learn a little bit more about that stage as a result of the practice. And in some ways I feel our experiences are filling in some of the things that the instrument doesn't reveal. So, I feel like through my own experience, through my own practice as well as my own reflections, I'm learning new things that somehow belong to a stage because they hang around that fundamental worldview, which may not show up in the theory, but you know it's what's it's what life is teaching me so, in a way, I have to be cautious that I don't freeze that as if it's theory that has been proven, but as just lessons I'm learning and hypothesizing about and continuing to explore and experiment with as I work with myself and with other people.
0: Yeah, Bina, and also now that we kind of had this whole thing, would you say there's a, a growth of compassion also as we move to these more mature spaces?
2: Definitely, I would say generally speaking, yes. There is, of course, more compassion. There's more understanding. And that doesn't mean that there won't be contexts in which a person at a much later stage will fail to show compassion because they haven't had that opportunity to, to mature that part of themselves in a particular context or in a particular situation. So we are always working through our edges, you know, and, and the psyche is infinite. I always say there's no way we can compute. There's no way we can compute anything actually. And so I feel to carry the fundamental humility of unknowability and the confidence of influence. I think both of these, you know, we have to hold.
0: From my Native American teachers, I the, got the concept of let grow corn. In other words, a vision is only as good as it, bringing it back to the people, bringing it back to the earth and all our brothers and sisters, whether human or not, will this help us to, to grow and be able to survive together and evolve into something more beautiful and something better for those that follow us? And if so, how do we how do we take this knowledge and, and put it into our, our practices, our educational systems, our literature, our language, as just becoming more of a, a given, that we realize that where we're at, that there's there's a long way to go but the journey is really fascinating and at the higher altitudes, there i go with the high and the low again anyway at, at the more mature levels we can we can do more to fulfill our human destiny if you will and how do we do that practically
2: yeah I, I want to say one more thing and this is i think sri aurobindo's gift to me is that we are very quick to appropriate the forces of nature as our own so even this idea that we understand development and this is our knowledge and we can use this we forget that we are all we are trying to do is name the evolutionary forces of nature that brought us here and that will carry us forward. Beautiful. And so in, through my coaching more and more I'm pointing to the undercurrents of nature's secret secret evolutionary process that is at play. Can we can we just you know become more alive to to these processes that play not appropriate those forces And learn from those forces and then help ourselves and, you know, help others. So one of the ways in which we do that very specifically through the framework, since now you're familiar with, I mean, you are both already familiar, but since we've talked about the stages, we also look at what are called developmental movements. Like you mentioned, Roger, that within the stage, there is an early part, then there's a consolidation, and then there's the later part. So we see that at every stage and we look at the developmental movements across the arc. So we have some people who are transitioning from one stage to the next. So how I coach them in the transition will be different from somebody who's just entering a stage and is consolidating. So we differentiate that from somebody who is solidly at a stage but is falling back because there have been some life experiences that are challenging and they are falling back into earlier ways of being we also look at somebody who's maybe consolidated maybe transitioning but but is is make is able to make that transformational leap because life is again showing them new ways or they meet somebody who in whose presence they feel more expanded so they are in an uplift so how to embody that and integrate that so i find that also a beautiful way to begin to see how to support somebody by noticing where they are in, in terms of those developmental movements. So we've named a few other movements that are sort of recognizable. And I think I might close this part by saying that the ultimate really is to help the person be at home wherever they are. What does it mean to come home to, come home to oneself, to feel that you're optimally supported by your inner capacity to face the external environment or context
1: wonderful and there's so much in what you've said Beena, and i just want to name a few of the 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 themes so that they stand out one is you you're effectively pointed to the idea that there are two very different skills here that are being called for one is one is the more conceptual and creating the maps and understanding them and that's that's fantastic but then there's the deeper Deeper question of how do we use them skillfully to be more effective service. And that's your life's work, and that's very beautiful. You also pointed to the implication that yes, this is incredible understanding, but it's it's just a little flashlight in the in the infinite mystery. <laughs> and it's a beautiful flashlight, and it illuminates so much, and yet. The infinite, infinite mystery in which we live. And I actually wonder if, you know, if it's, I assume that mystery, appreciation of mystery comes online, perhaps at Construct Aware or somewhere. But you also then pointed to, you know, is this alive? How is this alive? And how does it enliven each, you know, a relationship in this moment? And I just want to say, I, one of the things I love about being and dialoguing with you is I just feel enlivened and opened and and enriched. So so you are transmitting, not only giving nice ideas, which is wonderful, and I'm an idea junkie, but you are transmitting wisdom from your lifelong work. I imbibing these these ideas and these ways of being. So, yeah, thank you so much. It's very beautiful.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I I have to say that even after studying ego development and, you know, focusing on my own growth for 12, 13 years, having come into Byron Katie's work has been instrumental in supporting my accessing more of the construct aware, and that depends on whatever your capacity is. It can take you. It sort of prepares you for that. So just questioning every single thought, and questioning is it true, and noticing how one reacts, believing that it is true, and then temporarily suspending. What if it? You know, who would I be if I didn't believe that? And the experience of coming into that way of being without having the thought is an experiential falling into no mind. Mm -hmm. So that's what has, it has really supported me. And it has supported me in my relationships because even with the capacities that I do have, I'm noticing how my judgments about other people come in my way. And when I use each judgment and question each judgment, and then turn it around to myself. It's literally transformed, transformed the way I see, I see life, I see people. So I would say that her work is a good training for construct aware.
1: Very, very good to know yes. Byron Katie, yeah, you know, I also am a great fan of Byron Katie's work and her beautiful questioning of all beliefs. Stay tuned for part three of our dialogue with Bina Sharma, in which we explore the remarkable implications of the farther reaches of adult maturity for our understanding of ourselves, our society, our potentials, religion, and more.
0: Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do from John Roger and the Deep Transformation team.